Hello, and welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are here to continue a very long saga of Josh Duggar, a.k.a. Creep Extraordinaire, and his journey toward his jail cell, which I'm sure he's just going to get a stern talking to from the other prisoners. Because you know how well they treat these child molester types. Well, they might be starstruck. It is Josh Oh, Duggar, yeah. I mean, you, you know. never know. A-list celeb. Fans. Exactly. But before we do get into that, we did have some liberty to spill on some dirty laundry that we had previously aired out for everybody. So Brian Laundry if you recall, murdered his girlfriend over the summer, Gabby Petito. And it was a whole long drawn out thing, searching for the bodies, finding them, figuring out who was guilty. It's clearly Brian. But we found out over the weekend that before taking his own life, Brian Laundrie actually wrote in a notebook that he was responsible for Gabby's death. And this is all according to the FBI. Now we do not have his exact statement, his written statement that was in the notebook, but it does say that a review of the notebook revealed written statements by Mr. Laundry claiming responsibility for Miss Petito's death. So this is a big deal. And yeah. the notebook was first discovered in October. It was in the same area as Laundry's remains were found in Florida's Myakahatchee Creek Environmental Park. Say that three times Ooh. fast. And a revolver was found nearby, the FBI stated. So there's been an agreement reached between the Petito family and the Laundrie family on how the couple's belongings, including the notebook, are going to be distributed. And the Laundrie family attorney, Steve Bertolino, you might remember that name from our Laundrie episode. Yes, he's a real (laughs) estate attorney. Yes. Mind you. (laughs) Right? Which, interesting choice. Yes. But on Friday, he said, Steve Bertolino confirmed that this agreement was reached on the division of the belongings of the couple. And that it was reached about four months after Gabby's remains were found in Wyoming. So it's just... I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Brian was at fault for Gabby's murder. But by the same token, to have a written statement that just puts the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, it does feel like, in a sense, it's putting a neat bow on this case. At least it's something. Although the thing that I wonder is, I had mentioned to you that I saw on TikTok or maybe it was somewhere else that people were claiming that putting out a statement and claiming that it was what was found in the notebook and when you like read that it was actually very troubling it was you know kind of talking about it was said in the first person you know kind of talking about what he had done and how you know I'm so sorry mom and dad like I didn't mean for this to happen blah 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 and it just I don't know it just is very troubling if this were to come out will this ever actually be released i know they're going to split up the property but will the actual contents of the notebook ever be released and yeah and everything on tiktok was just people's kind of interpretation their creative vision right for what they thought might be found in the there were people claiming that this was actually what was they were kind of piggybacking off of the fbi statement and saying like this is what was found um specifically in the notebook and the contents of the notebook have not been released but you know i guess that gets more into the specifics of whether or not you could file a foia request and eventually get that I don't know. It's all just very sad, truthfully, at the end of the day. Like, we all knew Brian did it. And it's just, yeah, it's almost sad to have everything just confirmed so clearly. And 
it's just so incredibly sad that someone's life had to be lost somebody who was so young and you know so early in their life they had so much more life to live so it's a real shame and obviously we'll continue kind of monitoring the situation if that um, notebook entry does come to light Mm -hmm. and if we're able to release that then um, obviously we'll follow up but anyway getting into our topic for today we just want to kind of restate our trigger warning there's some really graphic content and just yucky yucky imagery that we're going to talk about that this josh duggar was involved in he's obviously a repulsive person with no moral compass whatsoever so some of the materials that he possessed are just disgusting and revolting and some of you may not even want to hear about it so we wanted to warn you about that so again we also want to mention that the term that we're going to be trying to use is csam c-s-a-m which stands for child sexual abuse material. The legal term, again, is child pornography. So if you hear that mentioned, that's kind of what we're trying to do is use the CSAM term. It's kind of the more accepted jargon because, as we stated before, children cannot give consent for pornography, and pornography, the term, kind of assumes that there was consent on the part of both parties creating the porn. Right. We're just going to pick up on where we left off last week. So we finished the first week of trial. Um, For this episode, we're going to pick up on Monday, December 6th, 2021. And I have to say this day had a lot of interesting uh, witnesses on the stand. So the first is Clint Branham. And he's one of the players. So spoiler alert, too. We should have mentioned this. I think we're actually going to end up doing a three-parter because the trial itself ended up being so in-depth. And there were so many revelations after the fact that we felt like they warranted their own episode. So this episode is going to be covering the rest of the trial. Our next episode, which is the one I'm, as a creepy Duggar fan, not fan, but follower, I guess, um, have been really interested and excited to go into. That will be our next episode. Uh, So anyway, we start off this episode with Clint Branham, and he works in the technology field in cybersecurity, and he was actually an acquaintance of the Duggars growing up. So obviously, perfect witness to call to the stand for this. Right. Um, He said that he ran in the same religious circle, as the Duggars, and they often would discuss technology. They often would discuss technology and, of course, politics. Shocker. Which go hand in hand, of course. (laughs) Oh, my God, yeah, especially with those really tech-savvy fundies over there. Of course. In the 90s, you know, early 2000s. Right. They're back in every other way, but with the technology, they're just light years ahead. We know that. Everybody knows that. Common sense. (laughs) So he described Josh as more advanced than the average tech user, and he also said that he thought Josh would be able, you know, to feel comfortable installing his own computer programs. And for anybody that's looked into this a bit, it's pretty obvious that Josh was very much into the whole internet and technology boom of the late 90s, early 2000s. On the stand, he recounted a conversation he had with Josh in the summer of 2010, And another player in this, he said Jim Holt, who we'll get to him next, but he was Jim Bob Duggar's longtime friend, was also there and a part of the conversation. He explained that he and Josh, meaning um, Clint and Josh, discussed Linux and how it was a way for people to bypass covenant eyes, 
which we mentioned in last episode. This is kind of that, um, I almost want to say buddy, buddy system or, you know, reporting um, filter. Right. It was really this, it. it was really this internet filter system that even if you had no concern about anybody looking at anything they shouldn't be looking at, um, a lot of these families used. And Clint was asked if Josh knew how to write code lines or command code. He said he would not be surprised, but he said that Josh had never told him that. And again, this line of conversation is really important because, as you'll recall in the last episode, we made note of the fact that Josh's primary defense or one of his primary defenses was the idea that he was too stupid to work a computer properly (laughs) and that he wouldn't have been able to figure out these complex computer programs. And I think they even... I mean, it's my theory that they probably even tried to confuse the jury by just using a ton of computer jargon. And, you know, it would sort of lead the jury to think, hey, I can't even make heads or tails of this shit. How is this backwoods idiot supposed to figure (laughs) it out? No, that's a great point. It's, you know, it's very, very important that he not only had an interest in technology, but he was also perfectly capable of and did download these programs, create this partition, and get onto the dark web this way. Yep. So next on the stand, we warned you, it is Jim (laughs) Holt. Again, longtime friend of Jim Bob's and just another fundy family. And he and his wife, Bobby, not to be confused with Bob yet, even though that's how it's spelled. And they all do love Sunday service. They sure do. (laughs) And he and Bob Yeh have 11 (laughs) children, and they were longtime friends of the Duggars. And Jim, this Jim, Jim Holt, knew Jim Bob Duggar since he was 11 years old. No, I was just going to say, I do think it's funny, and I kept like laughing to myself like a weirdo, just... The fact that it was Jim and Bobby and Jim Bob. Right. Oh, that's so <laughs> true. Oh, my God. So, like, maybe our Jim Holt here just had feelings for Jim Bob his whole life. <laughs> right. Couldn't marry Jim Bob, so he just married his own Bobby. <laughs> that's right. Who's to say? But Josh actually volunteered on Jim Holt's political campaigns in 2000, 2004, and 2006. In 2010, he helped a little bit less but was still involved And Jim actually testified that he and Josh Duggar talked about the Linux system, as we just discussed a moment ago, in 2010. And just referring back to that Clint Branham testimony. And he said that Josh asked how to set up the Linux partition. He also said that Clint Branham brought up the Linux conversation and was more tech savvy than he, meaning Jim, was but that he wasn't sure about how tech-savvy Josh was. Jim explained that Josh Duggar would help with graphics on the computer. He helped put together and edit a commercial when he was a teen. Which I would love to see. Me too. (laughs) It's probably horrible. (laughs) Um, So, you know, all of this kind of goes to show that Josh has always been a tech-savvy guy. It's pretty believable that he now has the knowledge to do all this partitioning situations. Um, And the defense did note that all of this was done on a Mac, not a PC. And this just goes to support the narrative that the defense has been trying to push throughout the trial that Josh is a Mac guy, not a PC guy, which was heavily used in this case to download the illicit material. And this is just a backwards argument because if you have any technological knowledge of any kind or if you're considered quote-unquote advanced – then you have a tech preference, 
but you can and still use other types of computers. Just because you prefer Macs right. doesn't mean you'll only ever be able to work on a Mac. I mean, you know, you and I, good examples. I mean, in our businesses, we work on PCs, but at home for our own pleasure, whatever, surfing the net, we have Macs. And it, and it hasn't it hasn't limited us whatsoever because we prefer our Macs. Well, I'm just thinking, like, to have a preference, you have to have knowledge of both. That's such a good point. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you, how can you stress he's a Mac guy without, and I feel like the common knowledge, too, is that Mac is for a more advanced user anyway. Like, Mm -hmm. PCs are much more common, and if you're a Mac user and that's, like, your preference, especially in the early 2000s, like, late 90s. Yeah, that was before the Mac boom, really. Yeah, like... I don't know. I, I just think it's a very weak argument. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Well, now we get on to personally the person and the testimony that I found most interesting. And this is Bobby Bobye Holt. Now West we, Holt. Yes. Bobye West. Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Bobye Kardashian West Holt. <laughs> so we heard a bit of this testimony beforehand when it was, you know, being decided whether or not she was actually going to testify. And just to kind of recap, she's Jim's wife, not Jim Bob. She's Bob (laughs) Yeh of Jim Holt. So they had been friends with the Duggars for over 30 years. Their children were best friends, meaning in this kind of uh, environment, they talked about their favorite Bible verses together. Of course. You know, you love James 1, I love James 2. (laughs) (laughs) Which one's going to win? Yeah. But we kind of touched on this last time that their oldest daughter was Josh Duggar's first girlfriend in November of 2002. Both were 14, but it was formal. They were betrothed to each other. Which is crazy to think. <laughs> Josh was almost forced into this poor girl's life as her oh husband. Like, she must feel like she dodged, dodged a bullet. A bullet. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Lucky, lucky girl. But Bobby was testifying at first about an event that happened on March 30th, 2003. And again, we're going to give this warning here. This is kind of where it gets fairly graphic. The judge also kind of warned jurors that they were going to hear some testimony about child molestation. But the judge also reminded them that Josh was not charged in this incident. But again, we're going back to the in-touch story that broke in 2015 where the police files were released so jim bob and michelle called jim and bob yay bobby over to their house asking that they come over to discuss a very important matter josh was 15 at the time and he was present at the conversation along with the adults and just kind of set the scene this was when they were in their very little house with like three bedrooms so they pulled Um, the four adults and Josh into Jim Bob and Michelle's bedroom. And in this, um, Josh confessed that he had touched Jane Doe. And we are just going to use the uh, Jane Doe pseudonyms just because this is what was used. I mean, obviously, when it broke in touch, everybody kind of knows who was who and sisters have come forward. But We're just going to use the Jane Doe. So Josh had confessed that he had inappropriately touched Jane Doe 4, who was only five years old at the time. She was sitting in his lap during Bible time. Ugh, and this is just so disgusting. Awful. And and he said he touched her chest and genital area. He also confessed, which I don't know how anybody could hear this and not, like, double over. 
Um, he confessed to touching Jane Doe's one, two, and three on their breasts and private areas, both on top of and under their clothes while they were sleeping. He said he did this from the age of 12 to 15. Which is crazy. I mean, you just think. <sighs> Awful. What 12-year-old, I mean, what person of any age, frankly, right. but like what 12-year-old has the urge to do these things right. to, his, first of all, his own sisters, secondly, to children. Like, it just, it boggles the mind, honestly, and makes you sick because, it, yeah. and initially, I mean, it just, it comes back to you that um, the parents so clearly were brainwashing and gaslighting their children right. because they downplayed it so much they said oh it was just over the clothes or it was just mm-hmm. this just that and it just wasn't that wasn't what it was at all no. I mean it was completely inappropriate not that it wouldn't have been inappropriate over the clothes but this under the clothes stuff I mean this is a full out violation yeah and even beyond that like when they first talked about it with Megan Kelly and everybody else in 2015 they said Josh was around 14 or 15 when it started. He was 12. This is the first time we learned he was 12 when this started. And this had gone on for three years. Yeah, which is a long time to have this going on. And it just, ugh, it's just more time, more trauma for these poor girls. Yeah. And yeah, it's just unbelievably sad. And obviously a huge bomb dropping in the case. And we mentioned this last time that... You know, Bobby here is testifying that they were called over because, obviously, again, the one thing that Jim, Bob, and Michelle did right here for the moment was calling off the relationship with the Holtz eldest daughter. And Jim, Bob, wanted to make sure that the Holtz could relay the message as to why the relationship was called off. Um, And it is sad. Apparently, Bobby had said on the stand that she still loved Josh and, um, you know, it, it was clearly very difficult for her to testify. Um, do you want me to? I'll just go through the end of this. Yeah, movie that's and totally wanna... fine. And I can start with Michelle. Okay. It's a lot. And, and you may want to, like, pause and read ahead because this is kind of where <laughs> already my weird. notes start to, like, jump all over. So Right. Um, but, again, this is more stuff that we're kind of learning here in this um in this trial, Bobby then goes on to testify about an incident in 2005 where Josh actually provided more details on this 2003 incident. And I feel like this is so typical of these fundy um, families and kind of cult here. Josh was staying with the Holtz in Little Rock because at the time Jim Holt was a legislator and Josh was working for him. It was kind of getting him exposed to this political environment. Speaking of exposure. <laughs> True. Ugh. Yeah, not the kind you want. No. Anyway. Um, and so Bobby said that she and Jim wanted to be around for a resource for Josh to talk with and that he could seek counsel with them kind of after he came home from his day working, you know, under under Jim Holt. And so one night Josh asked if he could talk with them. Jim Holt, being the patriarch of the family, fell asleep right away, and Josh ended up going on to tell Bobby more about the incident in 2003, and he told her that it was worse than he had initially told them at the time. He said that he had actually gone under Jane Doe number four's 
pantaloons and touched her vagina and digitally penetrated her. Yuck. Yeah. Well, and I mean, God, I can't even make light of this, but I'm just talking about the pantaloons phrase. Right. This This is during the Duggars prairie dresses phase where they were wearing full out like prairie dresses and pantaloons and whatnot apparently Which, god how the, how he even got under all those layers in the first place like Ugh. dude's a freak and was on a Disgusting. mission obviously yeah so this was kind of the so this was kind of the end of her testimony on this she said however that she had been approached by the defense asking her to kind of speak with them she said she did not want to speak with them she also talked about being approached in the past by various sources um, offering a lot of money for her to tell her story. And I think it adds credibility to her statement, um, given the fact that she never took any of these offers to kind of spill these juicy details before for any sum of money. Right. Yeah, that is really important. Because huh, it would be tempting to do that. And I'm sure that they were not offering her any kind of small potatoes to no. tell the truth. Yeah. Huh. So next up, we have the defense's first witness, Michelle Bush. And she is actually a digital forensics expert. And just a note up front, we're not going to be getting too tech heavy on the details on this portion because it's going to get really techy, really confusing. Again, we think it might have been even a tactic on the part of the defense to confuse the jury and to distract from the main issues in the case. And since we don't have this level of tech knowledge, we'll be covering kind of the highlights and the details that we found interesting, but we're not going to be going into a half hour of tech jargon. So this Michelle Bush, 50% of the cases that she's personally involved in were CSAM materials. And that's redundant, but you get the idea. She examined a MacBook, five thumb drives, an SD card, an iPhone, and an HP computer. And she said she didn't find any evidence of CSAM on Josh's personal Mac devices. And if it was there at some point and deleted, she would have seen evidence of that. And Josh owned the MacBook, just so you know, from 2014 to 2019. And Michelle Bush spent five days at a Homeland Security office examining the HP computer. Now, this is the computer that was found in the Carlot office where the child sexual material was found. And there was no trace of CSAM on the Windows side of the computer. Again, that's the business side of the computer, not the partition side. And again, we found that the Linux partition was installed on the HP computer on May 13th, 2019. Michelle said that that same afternoon, several files were opened from an external thumb drive as well. She indicated that the partition side of the computer was a very small amount of space, less than 1% of the whole computer's storage capacity. And this will later contribute to an argument that the person viewing the child sexual assault material was streaming the video, not downloading it, because the person was accessing it remotely. From now, France or somewhere. From France yeah. or somewhere else, and that it wasn't Josh, in other of words. Of course not. Now, we know because of the huge pieces of evidence that we got in the first part of the trial that we did last week that clearly the person accessing the material had to be logged in to that particular computer and they had to be the ones accessing it there was no chance that this was being remotely accessed by somebody else and even if somehow it was if we want to really play devil's advocate josh would have had to have been on the computer 
making it possible for this other third party to access the materials. So Michelle Bush said that there was only one user on the partition, and that was username Dell underscore one. She claimed that this could be an auto-generated username because an underscore wasn't usually allowed in a username that the user creates. Again, stupid argument and kind of getting bogged down in the dumb details because there isn't any other information that defends this idiot. (laughs) Right. But the prosecution, again, already proved that the username was not auto-generated. We talked about this last week. So Michelle Bush recreated the HP computer from May 13th through the 15th, 2019. When she herself tried to sign up for Linux through the computer, the computer displayed an error when she tried to use the Dell 1 username. So then Michelle moves on to discussing the router at the car lot. She says that this router would connect to devices and was a crucial piece of evidence in this case. She could not examine which devices connected because the router wasn't seized. And Michelle's claim here is that the other devices could have been connected to the router, showing somebody else at the lot. She explained kind of how the dark web works to the jury, talked about Linux and how it already came with transmission files, which would allow access to the dark web. She also informed the jury that the Linux partition had Tor, which we talked about again, and that's a torrent program, and VLC was installed. Michelle claimed that Tor could be downloaded with command codes. Again, this is just another allusion to remote access, which, stupid argument. Yeah. This program wasn't found on any of Josh's other devices, so... Yeah, so just trying to say that Josh, you know, oh, it couldn't have been Josh because he doesn't do this on these other devices. Right. And it's like, of course he doesn't do it on the other devices because this is his main computer for downloading child pornography. Exactly. So, like, Like, you know, it's not a defense. Exactly. Yeah. So CSAM was streamed through the VLC video player. And Michelle said that this was downloaded in a complex way that she doesn't see in other CSAM cases very frequently. And... Basically, the main or major claim of Michelle Bush's argument was that she could not rule out remote access because she didn't have the router. Now, again, this is kind of like a backwards argument because she's basically saying it's probably not remote access, but we can't rule it out. But can you rule it in? You can't rule it in. Exactly. That's I, I will say when seeing this at first and reading this day, you know, following it real time, it was like, ooh, she's making some good points. Ooh, God, I don't know. Once we get to the next day, all of this is knocked down. It's like, all washed. Yeah, it, it's shown how stupid these arguments are. Right. So she goes further into the dates, the specific dates. And again, this is all going to the argument of remote access, that somebody else somewhere in the world was accessing these materials through Josh's computer, that it wasn't him actually viewing the materials, downloading the materials, whatever. It was just his computer was just a conduit and he was a victim. I mean, we know it happens all the time person looking for child sexual abuse material oh yeah french perverts yeah. just will always look for devout christians to small hack. car lots in exactly. arkansas gotta go of course. for them great target so on may 14th two dot move files were streamed and that evening csam was downloaded between 5:05 p.m and 5:40 p.m on the morning of may 15th between 11:35 a.m and 11:41 a.m Three torrent movie files were streamed. 
Now, some torrents on the Linux side were not viewed by Josh. So we can see this Michelle character is able to see and understand every file that Josh has opened, when he's opened them, when he's downloaded them, how long he viewed them for. If he viewed them for three seconds and closed them, she can tell. Yep. So Michelle's big argument is that there's no evidence that this horrible, horrible file that Agent Faulkner talked about last week and said, this is the worst of the worst file. It contains just hideous, monstrous materials, whatever. There's no proof that Josh himself downloaded those particular videos or viewed them. Well, it's, it's Josh or that any, like whoever was accessing it. Like, right. Actually, yeah. There also was evidence of 65 images in one particular zip file, but that was never opened. And on May 16th, one CSAM video was streamed around 11.30 a.m., and it was deleted 29 seconds after it was opened and streamed. And some of the materials were not fully downloaded or they weren't fully captured by the law enforcement investigating Josh. And this is a big argument because she's trying to say that the um, technology that the FBI or the special task force was using you know, could have had holes in kind of what they were actually capturing in real time. Again, just trying to go to reasonable doubt. Right. And finally, Michelle said that no other evidence of CSAM was on any of Josh's personal devices. Again, same flawed argument. He's not doing it on his personal devices, so he's probably not doing it on this device. Exactly. Aside from the fact that there's a bunch of CSAM on this device. (laughs) Right. So, flawed argument. Yeah. All right, so now we get into destroying Michelle Bush. Um, on Tuesday, December 7th, we get onto the cross-examination. And the burning bush, girl. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So starting out, just tearing her down from the get-go, it was revealed that she had a her undergrad degree was in psychology and that she graduated in 2015. So already she's super young and it's not a tech degree, which makes it kind of like what's going what on. What the heck? Yeah. Is she really an expert? Right. Um, she did admit and these could go either way for me. It's just kind of like neither here nor there. But um, she admitted that she examined more Macs than PCs in her practice. Um, she did say that she did not have Linux training on her resume, but that she had done training. It just was not a standalone course. She also said that, and here we're getting into some, like, what were you doing? That she (laughs) never listened to the interviews of Josh because she only wanted to focus on the forensics. Which, like, I guess I get the argument. Like, you don't want (laughs) to muddy water dispersion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, like, start to get, you know, swayed in one direction or the other. But by the same token, it's like... I think it's overconfidence in your ability to find everything that's on there. Like if there's some hint that's in this recording that is like, Oh, that hint to check that, you know, he could be doing this really secret hidden, whatever. And you missed that. That's going to be a big deal. Um, She also said that she never received pictures of the computer and that she had only received pictures of the router wow, like, show your hand here, defense, as to where you want your argument to go. Wait, so what – wait, why 
does it matter that she never got pictures of the computer? She just got pictures of the router. I know. I think it just goes to the fact of like verifying that she's looking at the actual computer itself and that nothing looked out of place when she received it. Like they hadn't tampered with it. Oh, okay. Got um, it. You know, just kind of saying like it's in the same condition that it was seized right. in, under. So this is something that we kind of alluded to last time. Michelle Bush says that it was possible for the computer to default to the partition side when booting up, but the prosecution noted that the Windows side had more logins and eventually got her to kind of, you know, agree with them that it's likely the Windows was the default side, not the Linux. So this is kind of going to the fact that when the computer switched to the partition, somebody would have had to be there. Or Manually they, switching it. Or at least would have seen it. Like, okay, fine. Let's say it's remote. Like, somebody would have seen it being switched over. Because it's not just, like, the computer boots up, you walk away. Oh, it's already on the partition. Right. Well, that's what it sounds to me like they're trying to argue that, oh, the partition was automatic. Like, it's exactly. just going to this by itself. Josh doesn't need to access it in order to switch over to the partition. It's yeah. just auto kind of generated but clearly that's not the case he no. would have had to avail himself of the opportunity to get onto the partition exactly um and now getting into these thumb drives it's a little kind of confusing how they come into play but there were some files that were shown to be downloaded i guess from this thumb drive onto the computer and i mean this goes back to like floppy disk days pretty much Pretty much somebody had to be there to plug in the thumb drive and download it. Pretty obvious there. And just kind of poking some more holes in uh, Michelle Bush's defense and her report, she admitted that the infamous Intel 1988 password wasn't anywhere in her report, which she did like to point out. Her report was like over 100 pages and the prosecution's was only, I want to say like three pages long. And how did you miss that? <laughs> I know. Well, that's exactly like, okay, doesn't matter if it was over 100 pages. What are you saying in that? Nothing. Right. She again goes on to this is kind of their big thing. They're trying to create reasonable doubt. So again, we know that in um, her argument, Michelle Bush is really trying to prove remote access. And the prosecution kind of presses her on this. And so she goes into this argument again about remote access and her claim is that no one needed to double click on the videos to open them. Um, the prosecution does get her to admit, though, that the movies were downloaded onto the computer. She's trying to create this whole environment of like it's not even really stored there. Like you don't have to click on it. It's not even downloaded, it's streamed like and you'll see they continue to poke holes in it that that's not really the case. Um, and just kind of going back to showing that Josh on his pristine MacBook personal computer that had nothing bad on it. Of course. Yeah. Did try to download Torrent and it was caught by Covenant Eyes. Good old Covenant Eyes. It Always being the uh, little babysitter <laughs> of these good chaste Christians. Yes. This non-adult with we can remember from last week, um, mature teen of over course. here. <laughs> um, and so on April 15th, 2017 and May 9th, 2017 on his MacBook, his personal computer, he had tried to download this. So obviously just building the case, he knows about this. He's done this before, or at least tried to. One thing that Michelle had tried to go into was this need for command codes. Again, going to the remote access where you don't really need to click to download Tor or other technology aspects of kind of 
finding the dark web and this terrible material. But the prosecution was able to point out that shockingly, there's actually like an app store and you could just go in and download all of this stuff from the app store very easily. Yeah. So clearly, I mean, any argument that they're trying to create that he wouldn't have been able to download it or it would have been too complicated or you'd need these complex command codes. It's just hogwash because it was an app store and you could download it in two seconds yourself exactly. as an idiot. Super easy. The prosecution did continue to push her on this remote access and eventually did get her, get her to admit that there was no evidence of remote access. Like we said, though, she keeps trying to say, well, there's no evidence, but I can't rule it out. But you can't rule it in either. Exactly. So, like, duh. I can't rule out that, like, an elephant didn't just fly by outside. <laughs> right. But, like, I can't rule it in. Can't rule out that I, uh, you know, didn't win the lottery. But Exactly. <laughs> you know. And this Dell One username is a big This is embarrassing. Point. Yeah, but the prosecution did show that the error with her trying to use this Dell One username and whether or not it was auto-created or user-created, they were able to show that it was actually the software that Michelle Bush was using to try to examine the computer that caused the issue, not Linux itself. Very embarrassing. And this basically just, I think, casts a lot of doubt on Michelle Bush's competence as an examiner in the first place. Because if your software isn't even creating the circumstance that's proper for doing a full examination of this computer... How can we trust anything you say? Exactly. Yeah. And that put with, you know, just being graduating in 2015 and all these other, you know, lack of lack of credentials and whatnot. You know, it it just a lot of questions about her and the fact that she's testifying in all these CSAM cases to begin with. I'd be side eyeing her if I were the jury. But so getting a little bit into this now before we jump ahead to this chart. Beginning on May 15th, 2019, the prosecution brings up a photo that they believe to be Josh Duggar of himself at the car lot. So there's a photo of somebody at the car lot kind of taking a picture of a YouTube video on the lovely HP Windows side of the computer. And there's a reflection, as you you know can picture, of somebody looking at the video that they're taken a picture of and they have this red hat on that says wholesale motors or whatever the car lot name was surprisingly it didn't say make america great again it literally looks like a maga hat you got to look at the like oh my god it's yeah it's bad um and so the just gonna read this um and so then the jury was shown a picture of josh at lowe's later that same night wearing guess what the uh, same hat of course okay it was you watching the video it and how many of these hats hat. are floating around like they try to argue like oh it could be anybody wearing one of these hats oh i'm sorry I-, I didn't realize like this is the big fashion statement to get like this red hat from this little shack car lot in arkansas like, exactly like i think it was you but there's probably five of them out there in the whole world like. and also like do y'all plan to wear the same hat on right. every wednesday like is it on wednesdays we wear hats like, and you on. have one other employee who's been cleared. I think I think we're good. I think we're good. It's you. Yeah. Less than an hour after the photo was taken at the car lot, tour files were downloaded that same day. And in the five o'clock hour, many torrent files of CSAM were also downloaded. So clearly he's taken this YouTube 
picture of this YouTube video and then going on to the terrible side of the computer. And Michelle Bush tries to argue that it is possible that you could see the Windows side switching to the Linux side, but you may not hear the audio of the CSAM. Okay, you're still seeing that. Like, I don't know. Right. And who, whose perception are we thinking about here? Like, if, like, who are we talking about? Like, a remote viewer, like if they were switching to it somehow, they'd be hearing the audio okay. and seeing the visual. But the other person may just be seeing the visual, I guess. Which, I like, I'm sorry. Is I that bad know. enough? Yeah. Oh. Like, you know something's going on. And again, the um, the prosecution gets Michelle Bush to admit that, um, you know, she hadn't listened to any of the interviews. And in that, Josh had claimed that the router was secure, was password protected. Michelle Bush admitted that there was no evidence of a cyber attack at the car lot. So Um, no outside infiltration. Yeah. She was asked if it was important to know who was at the car lot that day. She said yes, especially on May 13th when the partition was installed. She said she didn't really review Josh's texts, however, or at least not in depth. And when she was reviewing them, she wasn't looking to see who was at the car lot. Which, hello, (laughs) if your whole argument is that somebody other than Josh did this, why wouldn't you figure out who all else was at the car lot that day? Right. If your whole argument is that it has to be like an outsider like accessed remotely there still had to be somebody to set it up that first day so she got the first part of the argument right somebody on the 13th of may when it was installed like yeah really important but you didn't follow up on like who that could have been right to actually be there and she does bring up again this file that we talked about last week from june 22nd 2019 on the linux side that had josh's name on it and again this is just suggesting that you know, he was losing track of what side he was on and kind of pulled something over. Whoops. Yeah, he pulled over like an invoice or some business material from the one side to the other. But it had his name on it. Yeah. It was like Josh Duggar Bills or whatever. <laughs> right. And the dipshit pulled it onto the wrong side. But yeah, like you said, that just goes to show the dude's switching so often from one side to the other. He's clearly comfortable switching and he can clearly access both sides because his digital footprint via that document is on the bad side exactly and even if they want to say like oh his name might be on other documents there because it's his car lot how many employees do they have like i'm sorry it's josh it's him yeah she did go into and try to push this argument that there was this universal plug and play that was enabled which apparently made the router a little bit more vulnerable she said that somebody could control it remotely And here we get to one of the famous lines from this, I guess. The prosecution asked where someone would have to be to access the network. And Bush said anywhere. The prosecution prosecution asked if they could be somewhere like Paris. And Bush said correct. How romantic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Les petites carlottes. She tried to go into this argument that the videos were streamed as opposed to double-clicked and downloaded. But again, I don't know. It's just not the best argument because they were able to kind of prove that they were, yes, downloaded. And yeah, you could watch them via clicking on something or using your keyboard, essentially. But it didn't mean that you had to double-click to play them. Right. Right. So her saying hey it's i have proof that he never double clicked on this video so clearly he never opened it 
is bullshit. Right. Or, because he could have played it a multitude of different ways. Or just saying like, oh, the the person accessing it remotely clearly didn't double click. So that means the person accessing it on site would only access it via double clicking. Sure. Is not correct. Like, no. Weak argument. Definitely. Um, and then she kind of ends on again saying that the router was so important, would be able to tell for sure. What a uh, shame that it's gone, aka <laughs> they probably destroyed it. Well, I saw I saw after the fact that um and maybe it is part of the transcript we'll see coming out in not too long. Mm. Um, but apparently routers are not seized in any cases like this. Wow. At all. Because I guess they really don't provide you much information Um, right it's just kind of their only way it's their uh, scapegoat to say well if only we had it because then we could rule it out for sure but we don't exactly but i'm sorry i trust the fbi in this that if it wasn't needed for other cases probably not needed in this one no and clearly the the deck is stacked against josh here and a little router is not gonna save him now no so the defense called its final witness and the suspicion here is really just so michelle bush who really didn't do so well, obviously, the burning bush, so that she wasn't the last witness to go on and wasn't the thing that stuck in the jury's mind as, oh, shit, this final witness for <laughs> right. the defense was really sucked. Now the whole defense is ruined, and that's the last thing the jury thinks of. So the final witness really didn't serve any purpose other than to just clear the place. Give him some breathing room, I guess. Exactly, <laughs> and give him a break from Michelle. And his name was Daniel Wilcox, and he's a senior manager for Walmart, obviously star witness, previously a police officer and Homeland Security Task Force officer for Rogers Police in Arkansas. Now, in 2019, Wilcox had a role in the investigation. On Halloween night, 2019, spooky, he was involved in the search warrant on the home that was never executed. So he went back to the car lot. So pretty much Wilcox tries (laughs) tries to come off as a major Duggar fan. He finds a car on Facebook and pretends to be interested in it, calls up to come and meet and talk about it. When he arrives there, the other employee, but the only employee there, um met him and pretty much said like oh josh is busy you know here i'll talk to you about it and wilcox really tries to play up oh i really wanted to meet josh dogger you know the the famed child molester right like (laughs) number one fan here yeah and so he's like i'll come back another day when he's here sets up another time come back comes back and um eventually gets to meet with both the other employee and josh Wilcox said that they met in the office and that it was just the three of them there and that the meeting lasted just a few minutes and that Duggar went and got a piece of paper that Wilcox assumed had the details of the car that he was hoping to buy. And Wilcox said Duggar had a computer and an iPhone that he used and Wilcox added that he had no involvement after that and that he believed it took place around Halloween night 2019 or maybe November 1st. Literally, this guy just goes to say, like, yeah, we searched the lot before the search warrant to make sure Josh was there and his devices were there. Like, right. Great. Which, again, <laughs> proves nothing, disproves nothing. It's just, again, yeah. to get Michelle Bush out of the jury's head. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> All right, so now we get on to James Fattrell, who is called back up. And just a reminder, he was from the Department of Justice. He's a part of the High Technology Investigative Unit. 
So James comes in and he rebuts many of Michelle Bush's points, which was not hard to do because she did a terrible (laughs) job. We won't go through all the points, but just some important ones are coming up here. He immediately goes into this underscore argument in the Dell underscore one username that Michelle said would be so problematic. Oh, yes. He immediately gets in there. He has no trouble using the underscore in the username. It lets him right in. The router topic comes up again and immediately James says, listen, the router is not important at all, gives us absolutely no information, (laughs) and the plug and play, which is a capability that facilitates the discovery of the device, could be a slight possibility more toward remote access, but he just really didn't believe it. And the last statement by the prosecution is on the Fitrell examination um, the prosecution asks Fatrell who he determined was in the room with the computer close to the time when the child sexual abuse material was downloaded. And Fatrell said, Josh Duggar. And I just felt like that was like a mic drop. It was like every time this happened, who was there? Josh Duggar. Josh fucking Duggar. So before we kind of jump to the closing and conclusion here somebody on reddit posted a really great timeline that for me was just like seals the deal this is obvious and you're dumb josh this kind of goes through josh you know texting people taking pictures pretty much just putting a sign out front saying hey it's me right he downloads child sexual abuse material so we're starting on may 11th again 2019 5.47 p.m., the Linux Ubuntu is installed. At 5.58 p.m., so just 11 minutes later, Josh's phone took a photo of a car at the car lot. Then a minute after that, 5.59 p.m., his phone sent texts to our buddy Joshua Williams, who, spoiler alert, the Williams, Caleb Williams and whatnot, will come up in the appeal when we talk about that. So then we're moving on to May 13th, 2019. This is when Tor was downloaded. Josh's phone took a photo at the car lot once again. Then moving on to May 14th, Josh's phone took a photo in, I can never pronounce this, I think it's Tawny Town, and also photos in the car lot. At 4.49 p.m., Josh's phone texts, Oh, got stuck here. Wonder why, Josh. Now, this for me just like seals the deal. I know. I know. It gets worse once he starts texting. Like, duh, you're you're dumb. You're an idiot. 528 p.m. So again, the text right before that was 449 p.m. Videos of minor girls were downloaded on Linux on the Linux partition side of the computer. Then 10 minutes after that, 538 p.m., Videos of minor girls were downloaded, again, on the Linux partition side of the computer. 5.41 p.m., a movie was downloaded on the computer. And in this um, timeline, it doesn't say whether or not that was... um, Explicit. Exactly. But, you know, you kind of have to assume. But who knows? 5.48 p.m., Josh's phone texts a customer about a car at the car lot. At 6.04 p.m., Josh's phone takes photos of the car at the car lot. 6.07 p.m., same thing. Josh's phone takes photos of the car at the car lot. Um, And I do think it's funny, like, (laughs) how can you be so stupid? It's so uh, stupid, and especially when you just, uh, the phrase, you know, nothing that goes on the internet can ever be truly deleted. 
it's just so clear that he's creating this footprint for himself and yeah. he's he's digging his own grave here he is because got, got stuck got here. stuck download 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 yeah, and then you're gonna get stuck in prison for life josh exactly like, <laughs> like yeah you're getting stuck all right so moving on to the 15th of may at 11 15 a.m josh's phone texts that he was at the car lot and would be there until one o'clock Ugh. adding we'll be back from 3.55 to 5.08 p.m., his phone sent several texts, one of them stating he would be at the car lot until 6 p.m. And then from here on, I mean, this is just perfect. I mean, it's so clear. From 5.22 to 5.41 p.m., several CSAM pieces of material were downloaded at the car lot. Then... Between 5 and 6 p.m., the same period of time, pretty much, five torrent files of videos were downloaded to the computer. And finally, at 5.58 p.m., Josh's phone texts that he will be at the car lot for a while because he had customers. Oh, my God. It just, like, seeing these timelines and the text just makes me so so clear. It just makes me so sick, though, because, you know, like, he's literally planning to his wife and planning this time to do this yep like it's just disgusting and now in order for the defense's argument to be feasible there would have had to be somebody Mm -hmm. online at paris who just happened (laughs) to be logging in at the same exact times that josh is saying oh just a few more minutes and up gonna run a little late instead of what's obviously happening here which is that Josh is making the time to plan and download these materials. Well, and I have to say, whoever put this timeline together, I do like how they phrased it because um, they're saying Josh's phone took a photo or Josh's phone right. texted. So, like, you could even argue, you know, and I'm sure they probably did try to insinuate that, well, it could have been somebody else with his phone, too. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, really? He just happened to, like, his phone happened to text, going to be late. And then he just happens to show up at that same time. Right. Like, that later. That he said. Yeah. Like, wow. All right. Come yeah. on. Of course. So moving on to the 16th of May, at 11.33 a.m., a downloaded video's thumbnail image file was created. Then at 11.35 a.m., Josh's phone takes a photo at the car lot. And finally, at 12.56 p.m., Josh's phone texts that he can't go to Lowe's because he has <laughs> customers at the car lot. But don't worry, I'll show up in my stupid hat later. Exactly. <laughs> and not to mention, you're obviously not dealing with customers. You're over here downloading pictures yeah. and videos. Disgusting. Gross. But thankfully, we're at about at the end here. So just moving on, though, to the end. I mean, what else can be said after that timeline? (laughs) Seriously. Uh, We're on to Wednesday, December 8th. Closing arguments. Going to be honest, we're not going to go into it because it's just a reiteration of what was said throughout the trial. There are a couple points that I thought were just kind of like, I don't know. Just do want to mention them again, though. Um, And (laughs) I think... Uh, the prosecution noting who was the first person to bring up child pornography. So the prosecution reminding everybody who was the first person to bring up child pornography. Hmm. Doesn't take long to remember. That was Josh Duggar. (laughs) Exactly. And you guys will remember. I mean, that's when security came to investigate the car lot. They waltzed right up and Josh said, Hey, what's going on here? 
here. Hey there, fellas. Was somebody downloading <laughs> child porn or something? Well, golly gee, it wasn't me. Wasn't me. Literally. Actually, no, won't say it wasn't me because I've had friends. Because I've had friends get <laughs> tricked into that position when they were downloading child right. pornography and they got in trouble. So I'm not going to be that stupid. Good. Good God. call, Josh. Yeah, really worked in your favor. The defense really tried to say that, oh, my God, Michelle Bush and James Fattrell agreed that remote access was, in fact, a possibility. Um, It couldn't be ruled out. Again, doesn't mean it was ruled in. And then just like their opening um, statements saying, you know, this is a great whodunit case, they end on just as great of a line saying that, um, you know, the prosecution and everybody involved in this case was really just starstruck by Josh. And once they found out it was a Duggar location that this was possibly coming from, they just honed in, started digging up all these old allegations and just wanted to you know, take this big movie star or, you know, celebrity down. And, of course, just a classic Josh playing the victim, as always. <laughs> Even though it's his defense team and it was their idea, it's just we see this argument over and over and over again of, like, me? Poor little right. me? Why is everybody ganging up on me? Why am I the victim? And in reality, it's because you did the bad thing exactly. and they found out. Yeah, pretty obvious. We move on then to jury deliberation that same day on the 8th. And the two things that came out, which one makes sense, one kind of doesn't to me, is they asked again to listen to the recording after Josh had just said, hmm, was child pornography being downloaded here? Um, So obviously they just want to listen to how stupid he was and, you know, how obvious it was. But then another juror asked for a calendar. Um, The judge denied this request, which... I don't really get what that could go to. I mean, I know there were a lot of dates mentioned um, throughout the trial, but it was kind of really over like a period of only a couple days overall. So I don't know if they were thinking like, oh, people don't download child sexual abuse material on the weekend. I wanted to make sure it wasn't the weekend. Like, (laughs) yeah, I I mean, maybe what they were trying to do was to piece together kind of the same thing that the person from Reddit did. And just to, like, sort of get it straight in their mind, like, okay, this was supposed to happen on this day. This was supposed to happen on that day. That's true. And, you know, if I can just see it in front of me on a calendar-type format, then maybe it'll make more sense. That's true. So pretty much, you know, they probably decided, he's not giving me the calendar. We'll call it a day. I'll look at the calendar on my phone. We'll come back tomorrow. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, So on Thursday, December 9th, mid-morning, we had a verdict. And the jury found Josh guilty on both counts thank god they made the right choice and obviously i think listening to that recording of josh being an idiot probably pushed him over the edge and they were like both counts he's guilty yeah they were like throw the calendar out we don't need it like right and he was found guilty on both counts um and that was possessing and receiving child pornography and the defense asked for Josh not to be detained until his sentencing, but the judge denied that, thank God. So he's already locked up yeah. and awaiting sentencing. Spent Christmas there, too, by the way. Which, thank God. Yeah. Like, little shit doesn't deserve to have a nice Christmas with this You family. won't be home for Christmas, Josh. <laughs> we'll be in the big house for Christmas. Sorry. This is not even funny. That's what they call the house. That the parents live in the oh, big house. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! And also prison. Obviously. Yeah, pretty much from one big house to the other. Holy shit! Um, but yeah, so we know now that the sentencing could take up to four months. So we're obviously gonna wait for that, and ooh, we'll be waiting with bated breath. And of course, 
the defense is going to plan to appeal this. And the appeal was actually just filed. Yes. Should be interesting. I still don't think he has a leg to stand on. Nope. But, you know, good luck, Josh. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Because when they get a hold of you. Whew. Yeah. After the verdict was announced, we did post a wonderful TikTok from last week where Anna clomps out with her entourage. Everybody rushed out of the court the courthouse you know got into a car drove away and haven't really been seen from since um but a lot of stuff has come out and that's what we're going to be getting into next week this is what i'm really excited to get into because there have been some amas um other people that knew the doggers way back in the day who knew the holtz back in the day have come out and spilled a lot of liberty let's just say Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is Betsy Boss Podcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening. 